This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today is National Adoption Day. So in honor of today, and really for all of November, which is actually National Adoption Month, I'm joined by Michelle Madrid, the author of a beautiful new book called Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees. Adoption is a lifeline of support and opportunity for countless people, but it can also bring challenges and emotional conditions that are often silenced or left unaddressed, including PTSD, risk of suicide, fear of abandonment. And Michelle Madrid has experienced these challenges as a foster child and an international adoptee, and now as an adoptive parent as well, and an adoptee empowerment coach. Michelle has learned that the complex emotions and psychological turmoil of adoption, including feelings of involuntary exile, anger, distrust, confusion, and unworthiness are best healed through identification, exploration, and understanding. Written with compassion and authenticity, Let Us Be Greater will help adoptees and their families feel seen and heard and understood as they work to build open, fulfilling, and healthy relationships with others and with themselves. Before we meet Michelle, let me tell you a little bit more about her. As I've mentioned, Michelle Madrid is an author, and she also hosts the Electricity of You podcast. She's an international adoptee, a former foster child in the UK, and an adoptee empowerment life coach who's been recognized as an Angels in Adoption honoree, by the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute, CCAI. And she was inducted into the New Mexico Women's Hall of Fame for her work in adoption. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. I have to (laughs) just lean in and say thank you so much. That's so beautiful. Thank you. She lives in Los Angeles, and you can visit her online at www.themichellemadrid.com. But we'll have more info on all the ways that you can reach her at the end of the show. Michelle Madrid, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much. I jumped right in there just to tell you how grateful I am for that beautiful welcoming. I'm honored to be with you. Honored to have you here. You named your book, Michelle, after your adopted daughter, whose name at birth was Tiblet, which translated means let her be greater. And that is the title of your book, Let Us Be Greater. So the title of your book has a very deep and powerful meaning. Can you explain more about what that meaning has for our audience? And did you always know that was going to be the title of your book? Oh, beautiful question. No, I did not always know that would be the title. I probably had a million titles for this book. I feel like this book is definitely a love letter and also just a journey of my life story to date, you know, but let us be greater means so much to me on so many levels. Of course, it is seated in the experience of adopting my daughter from Ethiopia. She's 14 years old now, but at the time of her adoption, she was 10 months old. And I was on the ground in Addis Ababa holding my daughter for the first time. And she was tiny and malnourished. She was suffering from giardia. 
and just seemed so tiny in my hands and my arms. And I remember looking at her and the orphanage director came in and we were talking and I asked her about my daughter's Ethiopian name, Tiblet, T-I-B-L-E-T, and the meaning of her name. And she said, oh, it means let her be greater. And she was given this name by a stranger, a police officer who found her tiny little precious being in Southern Ethiopia. And I remember holding my daughter in that moment and feeling this tingling throughout my body, like this divine message had just come down from the heavens, a message of letting my daughter be more, be greater than what appeared to be the broken circumstances of her earliest story. And as I stood there, I could see this the promise my daughter held. It was like a movie just flashing before me of mm. her strength and her worth and her promise and her beauty and her potential. And then in the same instant, I thought to myself, why can't I see that in myself? I'm holding my daughter and I'm seeing the promise of her, the greatness of her in an instant. And I can't seem to get there when I think of my own purpose, potential value, worth. And so I began to, I think that was the point where I really began to explore what was blocking me from reaching a place in my life where I didn't feel so broken from the earliest circumstances of my own story. And how could I begin to explore those places inside of myself, the hurts that were there that I'd been avoiding, that ultimately were blocking me from reaching a place of self-love and self-worth and self-acceptance, all of those things that we need to arrive to as human beings, much less adoptees, along this journey of finding our bliss, right? And so it really set me on the course of my own personal evolving into the woman I am today, the human being I am today, the soul I am today, here to live out a purpose and a calling that is very clear to me now. And I think the title for me, Judy, is my crying out. It's like the the call to action for adoptees that we can be greater, let us be greater than the earliest circumstances of our lives, the relinquishment, the removal, the displacement, anything and everything that has made us feel removed from ourselves. Let us look at those things together with tender, loving care and begin to heal those points of pain and step into our greatness together. What I love about this is that your little infant daughter, in a sense, healed you. You, of course, healed her. She had failure to thrive. It must have taken a while to sort of get her back to a healthy homeostatic state and you got her there, but she also got you there. Like you, you've actually healed each other. Yes, I do believe that we've been on this journey of healing together, her, her beautiful physical self. She is a force of nature today at 14. She is brilliant and brave and bold in voice and beautiful in deep and profound ways. I'm in awe of her and certainly through this gift of being her mother, And journeying along with her first mother, whom we've never met yet, but I hold her first mother in my heart each and every day. And we do this together. This is shared family. You know, adoption is this openness to embrace shared family. And so certainly this journey of healing is is a shared one. And she has 
helped me to heal in deep and beautiful, meaningful ways. I love that. That's so lovely. What strikes me about your beautiful book, Let Us Be Greater, is that you describe that adoption is rooted in loss when so much of our society speaks of adoption as all gain. And that really resonated with me because I think the book is for anyone who has lost something in their life. It's a microcosm of the bigger picture that we've all lost something. We all have shame and sadness, hurt and suffering in some way. And there are many instances in which we don't allow ourselves to be as good as we can possibly be. In fact, the book shows us a way out of all of that and teaches us how to feel empowered and more hopeful. How does acknowledging the concept of loss in adoption help move the conversation forward? And how does acknowledging loss in general help us grow as human beings? Mm, I I believe that adoption is rooted in loss. And I think this is a part of the understanding that needs to happen within a wider conversation. It's something we've been avoiding for a long time, I think, this concept of adoption loss and the trauma that happens within this loss. It's a part of every adoption story. You know, Judy, if you think about it, loss is at the core of every adoption. One family had to come apart before another family could come together. A loss had to occur before adoption could ever happen. Yet this loss is something we haven't been talking about. It's it's not been socially recognized, I think, on a wider scale. And so in part, I think from the adoptee lens, we have seen this narrative is sort of being one that is presented in sort of a glossy form and sort of one-dimensional, and it doesn't necessarily represent the true adoptee experience. And it certainly doesn't, I believe, center the adoptee perspective and the adoptee voice within this adoption conversation. And so the real feelings of loss and that sense of feeling isolated within the loss has prolonged the pain and has hindered adoptees for so long from healing their own sense of trauma. And so when these hidden feelings are continually pushed down and down and down, deeper and deeper and deeper, the pain of this experience grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And so how do we advance the adoption conversation forward? Well, we need to center adoptee voices, yes, first and foremost, but I believe we also have to recognize there is trauma associated with adoption loss. Adoption loss is real. And when we can support adoptees in that, when we can say to them, I know that your loss is real, then I believe that we can open up a conversation, a sacred space to begin to heal these unresolved feelings, these fears, these doubts, these hurts, the anxiety that may be harbored away. And I think that is the case for every human being. We are so conditioned to avoid our feelings, the loss that is real in life. We can't go through life without experiencing loss. But when we just tell each other, just move forward, you know, it's going to be fine. And when we bury these parts of ourselves, we don't allow ourselves to grow. We don't even allow ourselves to process our own feelings. And we need that in order to heal and to move forward and become the fullest version of who we're here to be. I think that's so important to honor our losses and to look at another human being and say, you know what, I am here to to understand. I want to understand your experience, not to tell you what I think your experience should be, but to be a safe space 
to hear you and to hold your feelings as valid because they are. And so that loss is a key point, I think, and a realization that we really need to arrive to within this adoption conversation and certainly, yes, within the human conversation. And just to honor it, like to own it and honor it instead of trying to gloss it over. But you do a fabulous thing in the book. You do many fabulous things in the books, and we're going to get to all of them. But one of the things that I love is that you provide a blueprint for people. You actually talk about eight adoptee pain points that are universal and how important it is to compassionately and soulfully heal and reframe these eight primary sources of pain. Some of them include, and I'll let you expand on it, but I'll just to share with our listeners, the feeling of being unwelcome in the world, the pain of broken bonds and a deep sense of losses you've just described. The third is, and this is huge, is the pain of being denied access to the truth. Familial rejection is one of them, the pain of distress. Your sixth pain point is the pain of banished biology, which is so important for your health and wellness to know where you come from. Seven is the pain of pleasing others versus pleasing the self. And eight is the pain of a lack of transparency and acceptance. So I've said them all, but I'm just wondering if you can just expand on this a little bit for us and tell us about these eight pain points that you've outlined for people. And I think it's so great that you've done this so people can find themselves, you know, on the roadmap, if you will. Absolutely. And I, I always encourage people when they're going through the book, if you feel like a pain point is like, oh, that's more like a one on a scale of one to 10 for me, still do the exercises, still lean in because there's much to learn and to explore within each of these pain points. But, you know, the pain of feeling unwelcome in the world is certainly one that adoptees come to me with pain point that I experience, just not feeling connected to the life that I've been given, not feeling fully embraced in the world. And I think that comes from just the profound experience of feeling severed from first mother. And for somehow, you know, this place within ourselves, just feeling like, well, if we weren't welcomed within first family, how can we be welcomed in the world? And it is a real pain point to explore. And it shows up in all areas of our lives, our ability to feel welcome in relationship, welcome in the work that we feel passionate to do, welcome in social settings. It can show up in so many ways, you know, broken bonds and a deep sense of loss. We were just talking about that, that sense of loss that is so profound for us as adoptees understanding that adoption loss is real, that is valid, and to explore that loss and begin to grieve that loss in the ways that feel right for you, meaningful for you as an adoptee and true to who you are. Oh, the pain of being denied access to truth, of feeling so closed out of our truth, the truth of where we come from, our first chapter, our earliest chapter. You know, how often do we pick up a book and start reading it from chapter two or three? No, we read the, you know, the intro, chapter one. We want to get the fullest version of the story that we have in our hands. Adoptees are no different. We want to know our truth. And that can even be truth of, of, our biological health, you know, the medical records that are so important and vital to understanding our our own journey of health and caring for ourselves in that way. Familial rejection and words that harm. I really think that that can be, you know, that fear of rejection is so real, but also the pain of the words that we use, you know, just like, just be grateful just move forward, just gloss over it all can really, I think, diminish an adoptee's sense of voice and sense of truth. I think we have to be really careful with the words they use. They can either 
heal us or they can harm us. So we need to mind our words carefully. Distrust is a big one that shows up that self-explanatory, really banished biology, just feeling closed off from what is beating, you know, pulsing within our veins, the biology of who we are. I was so hungry to know more of that when I was growing up. And I felt so disconnected from that place of knowing, and it was painful Pleasing others versus pleasing the self is a big one that also shows up, Judy. I was a people pleaser for a very long time. And it was after about a very incredible moment in the book where that like I I felt the pain of that for you. And and I'm going to get to that because I want to I want to let it unfold. But thank you. I know what I'm talking about. But I really with with the step grandfather, that was horrific. And I really related to that. Thank you. And just the lack of transparency and acceptance. And that can be transparency, external transparency and acceptance or internal transparency and acceptance. And as you and I know, changing the power structure is key along this healing journey and understanding that nothing and no one outside of ourselves can heal us, but us. And so doing that work, change begins within is so key and coming to that place of self-transparency, know thyself and self-acceptance, love thyself is, is key, I think, for adoptees, non-adoptees, anyone, um, in finding their bliss. And, and that's possible. Living a blissful life is possible, as you know, Judy. And I want that for each and every adoptee. Absolutely. I want to start with your own experience as an adoptee. You were adopted by an American couple. You were born in the UK. Your name was changed to Michelle. Everything changed for you. A new set of parents, a new country, a new life. You had to grapple with where to put the first me as you put it in the book, as you write in the book. You wrote that for years you grieved alone and tried to work it out, but there was a huge gap between who you were and who you were becoming. And you say that every adoptee has a first chapter and that it's important to find harmony and connect with that first chapter. How were you able to achieve that? Can you tell us more about what that means and why it's imperative for adoptees to hold space for their first me? And I know your first name was Julie Dawn. Your birth name was Julie Dawn. And you'll tell us about the tattoo and all of the rest that that helped you bring the two worlds together. But how important is it for people to get to know that first me? And then can you tell us about the significance of the tattoo that you have and that experience. Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Michelle Madrid when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, and I'm here with author and international adoptee, Michelle Madrid. And just before the break, I was asking you, Michelle, about how important it is for adoptees to connect with their first me. 
No, thank you. I think it's so important for an adoptee to reclaim, reconnect with that earliest little one, the one that experienced, you know, relinquishment, abandonment, sense of rejection, displacement, removal in their life. And when adoption happens in our lives, so many people think, well, everything starts at the point of the adoption and that adoptees are sort of these blank slates that come into their new surroundings, uh, ready to be molded and directed, guided in their new life with their new family and surroundings. And I like to raise the awareness that adoptees are not blank slates, that we come into the world with a lot of information. I believe that our stories begin in the womb, that we feel in the womb what our mothers feel in the world, and that experience is real for us. We come into the world with this programming, and we are this one little being until this severing happens and adoption happens in our life. And so often when, for instance, names are changed, and even if the name isn't changed, we we are one being and then we move into this new space, this new story, if you will. And there are different expectations placed on us. And so there's there's a shift that happens that can make us feel disconnected from that earliest version of ourselves. For me, it was, yes, Julia Dawn. My first mother gave me the name. I was named after my bio father, Julian, who was Spanish. And you know, it's it's no coincidence to me now when I look at my middle name as um, my first me, Dawn. It, it has to do with light. And I'm such a big believer in the light within. And it just makes such sense to me. And my parents, my adoptive parents, changed my name to Michelle Ann upon adoption. And it was confusing, although I couldn't verbalize it. There was something that happened inside of me that I felt disconnected from a part of myself that was very real, yet I didn't know where to place her. How do I grieve her? Where do I put her? Do I talk about her? No, I better not because then I could upset my adoptive parents or make them feel bad, even though that talking, not talking about Julia Dawn makes me really feel sad. But that's when sort of the people pleasing kicked in for me, not being able to be transparent, authentic within myself and with others. And the journey back to a sense of wholeness within myself really did start with reconnecting with little Julia Dawn. And I can't say that my adoptive mother was really happy about this. She would say, well, why do you need to do this? You know, and what did I ever do that would make you feel like you need to, you know, reconnect in this way or search in this way? What she didn't quite understand it, it had nothing really to do with her. And it, it certainly didn't have anything to do with the love I felt for her. It had everything to do with how disconnected and broken, I felt inside. And to get back to a place of love within, I needed to build that bridge back to my earliest self, my first me. And one of the things that I did, we all have our own ways of expressing our journeys, right? As we evolve and become and step into the next version of who we're here to be, was to have little Julia Dawn's name tattooed on my right arm, on my forearm. And I remember having that done back in 2021. And I was explaining, it was the first time I'd ever had a tattoo. And I was explaining why, the why of anything is everything. And I was explaining why to the tattoo artist. And he was kind of a big guy named Joe. And he started <laughs> he started to tear up. This was in Arizona. Aww. And and he said, I'm so you know happy I can be part of this 
part of your story and journey. But what I recognized with this tattoo, it was really an outward declaration of an inner transformation of this transformative work that I had been doing to come back to myself, to reunite with myself on the deepest levels and to really come home to the truest fullest version of who I am and to honor myself in this way and my fullest story. And I think that adoptees will, as they do the work of healing, as they step into their fullest story, they will find their own ways to reconnect to their first me. But I just ask them to stay open to this idea that that little person still lives within you. They need to be seen by you, held by you, and healed by you. And together, when you unite in this way, it's it's really beautiful to step forward with that sense of that little one is right there present within you. And you can speak to that little one and move forward with that little one and, and you know, really realize your dreams and your desires together. That's beautiful. No longer separated, but together. Together, you feel whole, not as fragmented. You're bringing like the past and the present and the future together. You've even written in the book, uh, Michelle, that you incurred some weight loss as an infant mm-hmm. and that you think it might have been due to the immense amount of grief swirling inside of you. Do you believe that this sense of loss and abandonment can even be felt as a young baby or a young child? I, I think I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And I, honestly, that brings tingles and tears to me because... I look back at how I didn't, because I didn't know that I could hold Julia Dawn in that loving, tender way and understand that her loss was so real. I mean, my foster records talk about how my bio mom took me to my foster home and dropped me off on a cold day and the fireplace at my foster carer's home was not working. There were chimney workers, uh, men running around. The house was cold and chaotic as it is described. Yet my mom left me there. She left little Julia Dawn there and walked away. And that sense of abandonment was very real for her. And she felt it. And then before that, I truly believe that in my mother's womb, I could feel the process of her deciding whether she was going to keep me or let me go. What would the plan be? And I write in there, I treaded the waters of life inside of my mother's womb, not to to be dramatic in that statement. I, I believe it is scientific. I mean, science is proving that we do feel what our mother's experience while we are in the womb. And so... I think that there had to have been on a cellular level a knowing and that I was anticipating the severing to happen. And when I was born and when I then was relinquished, I do believe that loss of weight was due to this just immense amount of grief that was swirling around in my my little tiny body that I couldn't process, I couldn't talk about. Or, yes, but you could feel it on a molecular level. Right. Absolutely. I believe that so strongly. I love that you ask adoptees and really all people to ask this question of themselves, which is such a great question that I, as a life coach as well, would ask my client. But it's so poignant in your book, which is what limiting belief is holding you back today? Mm -hmm. What limiting belief is holding you back? So powerful for everyone. 
Can you yeah. say more about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I had so many limiting beliefs, uh, unwanted, unloved. And certainly, I looked at myself as someone e- as easily replaced. I just didn't see a, a lot of worth in myself. And I think we have to get to a point, number one, you have to understand that thoughts, the thoughts that we think are like the building blocks of our reality. And a belief is a thought on repeat. It's that thought that we keep thinking repetitively, consistently each and every day. And it, it builds this belief and that belief creates our life, the world that we live in, the reality, how we view ourselves and the life that we're here to live. And so it's really important to look at a belief and ask yourself, is this belief that I have serving my highest good? Is it life affirming or is it quite the opposite? And is this belief something that I can once and for all do the work of letting go of, putting it down, changing the programming? You know, I have an exercise in the book called Change the Channel. And it's literally, and it's easy, right? It's a simple exercise of just becoming aware of the beliefs that we have the thoughts that we're thinking and getting curious. I think curiosity is the cure. Oh, that's interesting that I just thought that I'm unlovable. Well, let me hold that belief in my hand and start to get curious about it because it's just a thought. It's just a belief. It's not who I am. Where does it come from? And might I even thank it for showing up? Because by showing me what I don't want, I don't want to feel like I'm unlovable. It directs me toward what I do want, which is the truth that I am love. And I want to move forward with that programming. And so it is an awareness that we have to build. It's a daily practice, but we can do it. I'm doing it. You do it. And it's just becoming aware of how the beliefs that we hold really do paint the picture of our life. And if that blueprint isn't working for us, then we have the power to change it. Absolutely. And I want to just tell everyone, tell the listeners that there's so many wonderful meditations and affirmations and exercises and all sorts of goodies in this book to help you along. And and we're going to talk more about that soon. But I just want to ask you about the Dickens process, which is based on the character Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. How can this exercise help adoptees grow? Can you paint us a picture of how this all works? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's the putting down the baggage exercise that I have in the book. And it's found in chapter one. And I think there's a reason for that because so much of our hurt, those pain points that we've been talking about as adoptees is truly rooted in our chapter one of life. What happened to that precious first me, that little child within? And the residue of adoption loss can cause us to feel so disconnected in our lives. So this exercise asks us to ask ourselves this question, what baggage might you currently be carrying that doesn't belong to you? And, you know, what are you carrying right here, right now in this moment that was never yours to carry? Mm -hmm. And what heavy load remains on your shoulders that really needs to be let go of right here, right now today? And it is based on the Dickens process. We look at, for instance, a limiting belief and we ask ourselves, what has this belief cost me and those I love in the past. Mm-hmm. What is this costing me and those I love right here, right now in the present? And what will this cost me and those I love in the future? And you really dive into it. You immerse yourself in that feeling. You see it, you hear it, you feel it. And you allow yourself to just be sort of blanketed with this heavy feeling of this limiting belief 
for example, that you have been carrying perhaps for a very long time that is not serving in liberating you toward your highest self. And then you're motivated when you feel that pain and how unsustainable it is for you to feel that one more second longer. Then you're motivated to let it go and then choose a feeling, a belief, a thought, a pattern of behavior that serves you toward living out your highest good. And it's, it has been, by the way, one of the exercises in the book that I've gotten the most feedback on. People are really loving this question of what are you currently holding that never belonged to you? We can place so much on our young shoulders as adoptees, as people, you know, during childhood, shame and blame and feeling responsible for things that happen inside of our home. And truly, it is so transformational to see yourself as innocent, see yourself as carrying something on those beautiful young shoulders that was never yours to carry, forgiving yourself for that and letting it go. And this process, this Dickens process has certainly been so transformational in my own life. And I, I hope it supports others who read the book and are, you know, willing to do this work inside of the Dickens process. It, it works. Wonderful. It's just wonderful stuff. Let's talk more about your adoptive parents. Can you describe your relationship with your adoptive mother? I sense that she definitely mothered you, but didn't fully understand you. Can you say more about your relationship with your adoptive mother? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I share in the book is that we're often told as adoptees of the imperfections of our bio families. And we are rarely able to express our know where to go when there are also imperfections in your adoptive family. And as we know, no family is perfect. We all have challenges. I was mothered by my adoptive mother. I know she loved me and adored me. I was the daughter she always wanted. She had two sons and she wanted a little girl and was able to adopt while living in England with my father. And when we came to the United States, and as I began to grow, my father, my adoptive father's struggle with alcoholism really became more and more evident. And I was the supporter of my mother. I was like always there for her in a way that was probably not healthy <laughs> looking back. But she felt very much alone and isolated emotionally as she struggled, as we struggled with alcoholism in the home. And my mother wanted me to be who she wanted me to be. She would say, I'm Southern, so you're Southern now. I'm, you know, I'm this, so you're this now. And I never was able to be transparent and authentic in front of her and say, but mom, this is how I feel this is who I feel I am. This is who I want to be um, because I didn't, I never wanted to disappoint her. And so, you know, I feared her rejection and she feared me not loving her or perhaps someone else taking my, uh, her place. So I, I can say ours was not a fully authentic relationship. I don't think it was overflowing with unconditional love. It did feel conditional. I wanted to make her happy because I feared being sent back to somewhere else if I didn't. And at the end of the day, I loved my mother, but do I wish that I could have been fully me in front of her? Do I wish that she would have allowed me to explore those places inside of myself that felt broken so that I could, while she was in this world, become the woman that I am today? Of course I do. But she instilled in me a lot of goodness, 
And I'm grateful for that. I certainly am. But I do believe that it is so important for adoptive parents to understand that part of parenting And, you know, whether our children are adopted or not, is to allow our children to be who they're here to be, to support them, to love them, to accept them, to embrace them, and to see the greatness that is truly theirs to own and to move forward with and to discover along their own journey in life. Absolutely. You talked about this whole people pleasing that a lot of adoptees face. And yes, I mentioned this at the beginning of the interview, I cringed and I winced and really felt for you like and had a tears in my eyes when I read that scene that you described about a very uncomfortable moment with your step-grandfather, your biological, sorry, not your biological, your adoptive mother's stepfather, where you had to give him a kiss at the dinner table and you didn't want to. And and we wonder, like, if you weren't adopted, would you have just been able to say no and storm off? But because you wanted to please, you didn't feel comfortable. And so you had to kiss his cheek, which had butter all over it. And it just didn't feel right to you. And you had to learn in your work afterwards how to reframe that and how to say things like, this just doesn't feel right to me and to speak your truth. Can you tell us more about how you can stop and how people can stop being people pleasers and respect your boundaries and your instincts and intuition, even as an adoptee that, you know, what could you have done differently, but you were in a terrible position. So it was just an awful moment that I'm sure so many people can relate to. Yeah, it it was a hard moment for me. And it really, I do believe, was the origin of my people-pleasing pattern. At least it was the origin of my recognition of I was doing something that didn't feel right for me solely to please my mother. It was her stepfather and we were visiting and I was kind of scared of this man. I don't know why he made me feel uneasy. I was just a little girl of about, I don't know, seven or eight or so. And I, we were leaving and my mother wanted me to give him a kiss on the cheek. And I was a kid who always loved corn. I ate corn all over Europe. I was always leaving campgrounds to find people who had corn. I would go missing. I loved nothing more than a good buttery corn on the cob. And this gentleman was eating corn on the cob. And I remember watching him eat it and feeling just like the way he ate it. And it just, I felt just unsettled on just a cellular level. I just felt unnerved by this man. And so I was encouraged to go and kiss him on the cheek. And I, I didn't say no, I just, you know, with my body, I would resist. And my mother pushed me forward and said, I, I said to give him a kiss on the cheek so that we can go. And I remember he bent down and I did, I gave him a kiss on the cheek and there was buttery, you know, that buttery taste on his cheek. And I had tears coming down my face and I, looked at my mother and it's like, you know, is so, okay, can I go now? You know, and I ran out of the door and I felt in that moment, just in some sense violated because I felt like I had just, there was just this intrusion of my sense of inner peace that I didn't want to do this, but I did it anyways. And so then I felt shameful mm-hmm. and I felt guilty and I just felt lesser than, mm-hmm. and like my voice didn't matter, like my feelings didn't matter. And that I was here to please people and that I better do it or I risk rejection. And now that was, that's how I took it in and it was real for me. And so learning to honor myself by loving myself enough to say, this doesn't work for me in this moment. And let me tell you why, if you want to know, and if not, that's okay. I know, right? 
but this doesn't feel good for me. And I think it's really stopping and being aware is the choice that we're making to please someone else. Is And is it hurting us? I think that's the bottom line, the question, does this hurt me? And if it does, then we need to think about the choices that we're making and why we're making them. Because honoring ourselves is first and foremost. And I think that's another path, structure that we need to look at. It is okay to love yourself first, to fill yourself up first, to honor yourself so that you can be that example as you step out in your life and into the world for others. It is okay to say that doesn't feel good for me. And that quite honestly is reason enough. And when we begin to do that, we begin to shift that pleasing people pattern and we begin to please ourselves. And that's a beautiful gift to get because in that way, we're, we're living our truth. And that's what we're all here to do. And that's what we desire. We want to live our truth. That's right. Absolutely. So powerful and so important, this lesson in the book. I know the question everyone wants to know is what it was like for you when you saw your birth mother for the first time at Heathrow Airport wearing a lilac dress. We're going to find out what that moment was like for you when we come back from this commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And just before the break, Michelle, I was asking you what it was like when you saw your birth mother for the first time at Heathrow Airport wearing a lilac dress. Thank you. I. It was everything. It was everything all at once. I flew there by myself as a teenager and I had reconnected with my mom through a letter that I wrote to her husband, who's not my father, but the man that she had been married to for years and years and years and the man she was married to while she carried me. And he connected us. I sent him proof of who I was through the birth certificate of my little first me. And I flew to to London. And I remember walking out and I remember walking through customs and showing my passport and the customs officer said to me, welcome home. And I remember thinking to myself, home? Am I really home? You know, there's a million things went through me. And then I cleared customs and I started thinking, I wonder if she'll be here. Will she show up? Will she abandon me again? Will I know who she is if she's here? All of these questions were swirling through my mind. And then I arrived in the uh, arrival terminal. There were so many people, but then it seemed like everyone just sort of parted and she was standing there in this lilac dress. And initially, as I slowly walked up to her, I felt this sense of anger inside of myself. Like I wanted to go and say, you can never imagine how much this has hurt to be separated from you. You're leaving me, hurt me, and I'm angry about it. And I want to tell you just 
I want to just let out all this anger that I feel and this confusion. But as I got closer and closer to her, Judy, I started to see myself in her. And I just, all the anger melted away. We fell into each other's arms and we hugged and we cried. And it was just this moment of powerful connection that felt foreign, but also felt very familiar, all too familiar. Like I knew this woman, I knew this woman's body. I knew the feeling of her and it was beautiful and it was complex. And there were answers that I wanted from her that she could not give me answers that ultimately I had to find within myself along my own healing journey. But I think the takeaway from that first reunion with my mom was that she was hurting too. We were both hurting. We had both lost so much. That was so reassuring to read in the book that she expressed to you and you got it. It landed in a deep place that it was horrific for her to do this, that it hurt her deeply. And I think that somehow knowing that might have helped you release some of the baggage that you've been carrying for years, knowing that, hey, you know what? I really was wanted. She was betwixt and between, and this almost killed her to do this. And that somehow made it better, right? Yeah, I remember going on that first reunion to dinner with just my mom's husband. And he was very instrumental in the decision to release me into foster care. As my bio father was not whether willing or able or to keep me and to raise me. And my my mom's husband said to me, your mom suffered so much after she let you go. This is information that I was learning, you know, for the first time as a teen. And he said, and the interesting thing is when we let you go, I lost my soul and I haven't found it since. And it was this realization, like it's a bolt of lightning that I wasn't the only one who lost, that my mom had lost so much her husband, I'm not even his biological child, but even he lost a sense of his own self, a piece of his own soul through this. And, you know, I had siblings who had just learned that I existed and I had just learned that I had siblings. I mean, there was so much discovery. And one of the most profound, poignant bits of discovery was that there were so many people who had hurt and who had lost and that I wasn't the only one. And I could take that chip off of my shoulder and put that down. All of a sudden you were getting lighter and lighter. You just, you just had a lot of weight loss in a good way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and- yeah. Although you never met your biological father, you met a brother and an intuitive years later who talked about a Spaniard. Your father was Spanish. And this intuitive had an urgent message for you from your father, which was, I never meant not to be a good man. And you knew immediately what he was talking about. This was your father, Giuliano, letting you know also that he never intended to hurt you. And you write, you had waited for those words all your life. How did that land for you when you finally heard them? It was spiritual reunion. It was, we're so often told as adoptees that you have to have this face-to-face physical reunion. And that's not always possible. It wasn't for me, for me and my bio father. But in that moment, there was spiritual reunion. And I had learned some information from my uh, father's son, my bio brother. I write about him in the book. And when he and I reunited in Spain and he told me that a month before my father passed, he said, I have a daughter out there somewhere. And I'd been told all my life, the narrative was he didn't want you. He didn't even want to know when you were born. And that I think that was far from the truth because he knew that he had a daughter 
And I then began to open myself up to the real fact that he had likely carried me in his heart, although I was a secret all of his life to to most, <laughs> that he had carried me in his heart. And if he carried me in his heart, then he must have loved me. And the urgent message he wanted to share with me during that intuitive reading was that he never meant not to be a good man. And all of the the narrative that I'd been fed that my bio dad was not a good man melted away. He was a good man. He was human. He was flawed, just like me. And I could love him more. And I do love him more just knowing that he was human, imperfect, flawed, just like his daughter. And I think if we can love ourselves through our imperfections, that's such a life-affirming gift. And I give that to myself. I love myself through my imperfections and I even love my very imperfect story, Judy, and it has made all the difference. Incredible. And it also, I love that you point out that you don't have to have that face-to-face meeting with both biological parents for it to work. You can have that spiritual, psychic, the kind of meeting that you had with one of them. You had a much more fulfilling one with your biological mother. And I know that very close to her death, you had a very satisfying conversation, so much so she gave you such a gift in that final conversation that you weren't there for her actual death because you almost were afraid for anything to sully the perfection of that conversation. Can you just tell us briefly what made that conversation, one of your last with your mother, so blissful and special for you? brings tears to my eyes because that was in that moment, I was honoring myself. I was pleasing the self in that moment because my birth mom had had really been suffering with dementia. And in the final days of her life, she had been really lashing out at people. And I knew that I could go and be there physically. I was in England when she passed. But the conversation we had had just a few very short months prior was so beautiful that I knew that it was our final conversation because my mom, who'd never really mothered me, in that conversation mothered me. And she opened up and poured out of herself the love that she had for me, how proud she was of me, how we could do hard things and how we had done hard things together. And it was this loving, nurturing conversation. It had me in tears. I wrote everything down just, you know, quickly and frantically. I didn't want to miss a word that she was offering me because I knew it was her final offering on this earth. And so when I was in England, I wrapped those words and that memory around my heart. And as I knew she was in her final hours and as I was getting updates from some of my birth family members, I told them I've made the decision to stay in London. She was about two hours away from me because it is that conversation that I want to remember. I want that to be my last memory. And I think that mom would want that for me. And I honored myself in that way. And I said the prayer of what is a prayer that I use each and every day of Ho'oponopono, which is this ancient Hawaiian prayer offering of forgiveness where I just kept repeating, I love you. I, I'm, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And as I did that, I was just asking for the divine to wash clean any sense of guilt or shame or anything that was holding me back from meeting my mom in this spiritual place as she was transitioning into the next life. And I got the word that she had passed. And you know what? I I know that she knows and knew that I was there. 
I felt her presence so strongly. And it, again, it is that spiritual connection that when we open ourselves up to is so powerful. And it is, it is just that reminder that it is but a thin veil that separates those of us still in this existence from those of us who have transitioned to the next. And so it's, um, it was a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment. Thank you for sharing that story. I mentioned earlier that there's so many beautiful meditations and affirmations and exercises in the book. And your final adoptee affirmation, which is the light around me is great, but the light within me is even greater. This is so powerful, not just for adoptees and adoptive parents, but for everyone in the world right now to hold on to. I'd love permission to use it and I'll quote you, but it's a great metaphor for the world right now. So thank you for writing that and sharing that. Oh my goodness. And thank you for your willingness to include that in our conversation and your desire to carry it forward because that's what we're here to do light by light by light. We carry the light forward and it is the inner light of each and every one of us. I think that when we plug into it, reconnect to it, we can ignite the world and ignite ourselves forward to a greater way. And that is my prayer on this and every day. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you for writing it. You've said that the adoptee community is currently at a tipping point. Today is National Adoption Day. It's National Adoption Month. What is the biggest misconception that the world holds about what it means to be adopted? And how can we dispel that? I think the understanding that this belief that there's no loss to be grieved is something we really need to stop and look at. It is okay to say that I have experienced a loss via my adoption story, that this loss is real and it lives within me and I want to process it. I want to look at it. I want to heal it so I can move forward and be whole. And so this misconception that there's nothing to grieve is one that I would like to help shift and change and transform. It's okay to say that I've experienced a loss and to honor that part of your story and to look at it lovingly again with compassion and do the work of healing it. When we can honor the loss, when we can step in another person's shoes, when we can accept their experience as their own, I think that's when we really do the work of living our lives in a more empathetic way. And we need that from each other. So that would be the thing that I believe is the biggest misconception and and certainly one that I think needs to be healed so that adoptees don't feel like they have to pretend that this loss isn't real. We don't need to pretend anymore. There's a question that we ask everybody at the end of the show. And of course, I'm going to ask it to you as well. What is bliss for Michelle Madrid? Oh my goodness. It is choosing each and every day to live in a beautiful state to choose my thoughts, to choose my beliefs, and to move forward in alignment with those things and to live transparent, authentic, and filling myself up to overflow with the truth of who I am. That to me is bliss, bliss-filled, blissful. It is my intention each and every day. How can people get a copy of your beautiful book, Let Us Be Greater? And also, how can we connect with you on social media? Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yes. Please come to the website, themichellemadrid.com. 
You can learn more about the book there. There are some beautiful bonus gifts awaiting you on the website as well. When you purchase the book, you can find the book on Amazon or wherever books are sold and connect with me on Instagram at the Michelle Madrid. I'd love to see you there. I want to thank you so much, Michelle, for being here. It's really been an honor to have you on this program today. I am honored. I'm so honored to know you and to have sat inside of this conversation on this very special day. Thank you for your time. Thank you for leaning in. Thank you so much. Each week, we spotlight a fabulous person like Michelle Madrid, who is living their bliss and helping other people to do the same. So if you are a person like that, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at FYB at FindingYourBliss.com. And as well, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Michelle Madrid, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanuziello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.